Hello and welcome to the Top Story, a podcast with the headlines of the day from our correspondents from around the world. I'm Zhu Tianlu. Coming up, Libyan authorities have ordered an investigation into whether human failings were to blame for the thousands of deaths caused by flooding. Cuba is hosting a summit between the G77 and China. And U.S. President Joe Biden's son Hunter is facing up to 25 years in prison after being indicted on federal firearm charges. We begin in Africa. The Libyan Red Crescent has reported over 11,000 deaths from recent floods in the eastern city of Derna, and it's estimated that over 10,000 people remain missing. Derna Mayor Abdelmanam Al-Gaithi says the number of deaths could already have reached 20,000 as the center of the city was washed away. There are fears over possible outbreaks of disease from corpses. Authorities are demanding an investigation into whether human failings were to blame for the high death toll. For rescue and relief operations, Libya's eastern administration has approved a budget of 10 billion dinars, or about nearly 2 billion U.S. dollars. For more on how people are dealing with the devastation, Ahmed Abar reports from Tripoli. We have to highlight the necessity to focus on other disaster zones besides Derna. They are peripheral zones. They have a smaller uh, population. However, uh, most of them they've been uh, isolated for the past three days because there are accessible roads to reach them.、Uh, in terms of of survivors, they've been、uh, announcing that. The survivors is、uh, are nearly 500 survivors from Derna. It's four days, and it's just become more difficult and more to find any survivors. However, there were、uh, two missing members of the Red Crescent for the past three days. They've been trying to、uh, to to help in the rescue operation, but that they were dead. Both of them they were rescued after three days of of just being gone and missing. So such indicators. Such、um, text messages that we have receiving from trapped and stuck families requesting help it gives us a hope that there is、uh, some part we can do. There is some sort of,、uh, of of a hope that we can save more lives and we can reduce this this casualty number. That was Ahmed Abar reporting. Morocco has unveiled a program for quake-hit areas to support and rehouse the residents of about 50,000 buildings damaged in last week's earthquake. Nearly 3,000 people have died, and more than 5,600 are injured. The government says it is doing everything it can to help all earthquake victims. Charles Gibson has the latest from Marrakech. We have. Really long past the 72-hour window when experts say that、uh, survivors are most likely to be found trapped under rubble. Although, of course, you do have these cases where people somehow manage to survive for days on end under that rubble. So, the teams will not have given up hope just yet of potentially finding survivors. In terms of the relief effort that's going on alongside that search and rescue effort. What I'm hearing from villages up in the the high Atlas Mountains is that in the larger villages, perhaps the the slightly lower ones in terms of altitude, there are now aid centres set up. There are field hospitals which are treating the wounded from this earthquake, and there are also shelters and tents being put up for people who have lost their homes and who have spent many nights now sleeping out under the stars in 
you know, pretty remote communities, but it is those communities that are even further away from uh, the city of Marrakesh, those communities that are right off the beaten path that are really only accessible at the moment by either helicopters or by pack animals carrying supplies and they are still in a really difficult situation. Supplies still only really trickling through to those places. Charles Gibson in Morocco. Now moving on to North America. This Friday and Saturday, Cuba will host the G77 Plus China Summit. This year's theme will focus on science, technology and innovation. Luis Chirino has more from Havana. The group of 77 was established in 1964 by 77 developing countries. Over time, the group has grown. When the bloc meets in Havana on September 15 and 16, the coalition will include more than 130 nations looking to promote their economic interests. G77 plus China now represents about 80% of the world's population and over two-thirds of the United Nations membership. This group emerges from the demands that were made on, on the capitalist, developed capitalist world by third world countries. So the group became one of the most important factors of uh, international relations at the United Nations, but its original agenda was mainly economic and social. China's foreign ministry has expressed optimism the G77 plus China summit will safeguard international justice and defend the common interests of its members. Analysts say the summit is a forum where developing countries can play a role in setting the global political agenda for development with other nations. The summit can make a contribution by mobilizing the forces of the South in, in the defense of putting science at the service of people, not putting science at the service of profits. The forum's agenda is expected to include discussions about social justice, climate change and world order. Cuban president is the rotating chair of the G77 plus China. He hopes the summit will strengthen unity among developing countries in a variety of economic and social fields. Earlier this year, G77 ministers of education and the environment held meetings in Havana and adopted a number of agreements. At last August summit of the BRICS economic bloc in South Africa, Cuban President Miguel Díaz-Canel stressed the need for BRICS and the G77 to face world challenges. The G77 and the BRICS have the opportunity to generate a historic transformation. For the sake of future generations, let's do it. The Cuban leader invited the BRICS members to participate at the upcoming forum and to address ways to help third world nations on the road to a better future. That was Luis Chirino reporting from Havana. U.S. President Joe Biden's son, Hunter Biden, has been indicted on three criminal counts related to his illegal possession of a firearm. He faces up to 25 years in prison if convicted. It is Tiensen has more from Los Angeles. Uh, the indictment charges uh, Hunter Biden with knowingly deceiving a firearms dealer when buying a Colt Cobra revolver on October 12th, uh, 2018. Uh, He is charged with falsely filling out a federal firearms uh, form, uh, a federal form uh, essentially uh, denying he was addicted to any uh, narcotics at the time. These charges came because uh, Biden 
uh, Hunter Biden has actually acknowledged uh, that he was a drug addict at the time. So it is that controversy uh, that has really uh, sort of uh, brought him into uh, these legal troubles now. And he's also uh, charged with knowingly possessing the revolver uh, despite the restrictions uh, that are in place legally here in the United States against uh, owning firearms uh, and while being um, addicted to certain substances at the same time. Uh, this is part of a years-long investigation uh, that has been going on for nearly five years. And it does actually, the initial investigation actually has uh, other uh, issues. He, it's looking into uh, Hunter Biden's uh, business dealings as well, but we don't see any of those issues uh, come up in uh, the charges on those three counts that uh, Hunter Biden is facing as of Thursday. Three uh, charges on, on these three counts uh, could lead up to a maximum of 25 uh, years in prison. They also have a total of $750,000 of penalty. And of course, those could very well um, have certain implications that uh, could directly impact the president himself. That was Elise Tiansen on the Biden family legal woes. In South America, Brazil's Supreme Court has sentenced the first defendant to stand trial for the January the 8th riot in Brasilia to 17 years in prison. Supporters of defeated President Jair Bolsonaro stormed government building in the capital against the newly elected president Luiz Inácio Lula da Silva. More from Paulo Cabral. Convicted defendant Aécio Costa Pereira published videos of himself on his social networks on the day of the riots, gloating about being in the chair of the Senate's president while calling for action. It's going to work. Do not give up. Take to the streets. Close the roads. Pereira's self-incriminating videos were crucial evidence for his conviction, and this is likely to be the case for other defendants in future trials. Nearly 1,400 people stand accused of various crimes, including attempted coup and destruction of public property for their participation in the January 8th ransacking of Brazil's main seats of power, the Congress, the Presidential Palace and the Supreme Court. In this first trial, all 11 justices voted for Pereira's conviction on several counts, and he was sentenced to 17 years in prison. However, the two judges appointed by former President Jair Bolsonaro acquitted him of the crime of coup d'etat, voting for conviction only for other charges, which carry lesser sentences. The issue at hand is whether Aesio actually attempted a coup d'etat. I understand there wasn't because all coups require an actual anti-democracy action. All defendants accused of involvement in the January 8th riots in Brasilia will be tried based on their individual actions. But the conviction of the first defendant may set the tone for the upcoming trials. The behavior of all of them and the evidence against the defendants are all very similar. There is film of all of them showing their participation. This trial in the Supreme Court is very important because we are creating a legal precedent in defense of democracy. There's a long way to go before all defendants are tried by the Supreme Court, but legal observers say strong punishments are aimed at preventing similar events from happening in the future. 
That was Paulo Cabral on the long legal battle against those involved in the riot in Brazil earlier this year. In Asia, China and Zambia have agreed to upgrade ties to a comprehensive strategic cooperative partnership. The announcement came after Chinese President Xi Jinping held talks with his Zambian counterpart Hakaindi Hichilema in Beijing. The Zambian president is in China for a state visit. Lucy Ray has more from Beijing. On the morning of September 15th, President Xi Jinping has held talks with Zambian President Hichilema at the Great Hall of the People. And the two also attended a signing ceremony and announced the two countries are elevating their relationship. And in fact, before arriving in Beijing, the Zambian president has visited Shenzhen. He had very busy schedule in Shenzhen, visiting five companies in two days. He has met with Tencent, the social media and gaming giant who uh, invested tens of millions of dollars in Africa through supporting startups in the areas. And also, uh, the president is particularly interested in e-governance, which allows citizens to access most government resources online. That was Lucerate reporting. Finally, in Europe, Russian President Vladimir Putin has accepted an invitation to visit North Korea. North Korean leader Kim Jong-un extended the invitation during his trip to Russia to beef up cooperation between the two countries. The Kremlin says Kim's visit will continue for several days. Dasha Chinishova reports from Moscow. The understanding is that Kim is interested in aviation industry and that's why he's provided with this opportunity. And this has been described as the military part of his trip to Russia. We also have heard from the Kremlin the confirmation that the Russian president Vladimir Putin has accepted gratefully the invitation to visit Pyongyang. What we know from the Kremlin is that indeed the Russian foreign minister Sergei Lavrov will be traveling to Pyongyang in October for talks there. We also have heard the Kremlin describing the negotiations that Vladimir Putin and Kim Jong-un had were constructive and timely. Again, the reference to the timing of this meeting as the two countries seek to deepen their cooperation military technical one is said to be the sensitive area so that's why not much information is provided on that but Moscow has said that it will be complying with all of its international obligations but within those Moscow says there are still possibilities for the cooperation uh, other than that we have heard the sides uh, saying that they will be uh, deepening their ties in trade aviation space technologies as well as satellite technologies which Moscow said it will be helping Pyongyang with as well as a myriad of other areas including medicine and education. That was Dasha Chinshova in Moscow. Before we go, the headlines again. Libyan authorities have ordered an investigation into whether human failings were to blame for the thousands of deaths caused by flooding. Cuba is hosting a summit between the G77 and China focusing on science, technology and innovation. And US President Joe Biden's son Hunter faces up to 25 years in prison after being indicted on federal firearm charges. That's it for this edition of The Top Story, a podcast that brings you world headlines every weekday. For more news in politics, business, sports and culture, you can subscribe to The Beijing Hour, a one-hour podcast news magazine program. We welcome and appreciate all ratings and reviews. I'm Zhu Tianlu. Thank you for listening.